All right, I'm here with Luai Curdy, originally on the Automate Construction Podcast as I believe the third guest. Uh, you were working for a different 3D printing construction company. Since then, you left them, founded your own 3D printing construction company. It's so great to see you here again. Thank you for joining me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Uh, thanks for, uh, for the opportunity, and it's nice to talk to you again. I think last time we talked was two years ago. Yeah, wow. And uh, you have two printers now in the facility. Uh, yes, exactly. I have two printers. Uh, actually, one uh, is our own uh, printer, but the second one is uh, a printer that we're currently uh, assembling for a client. Wow, cool. And so you assemble the printer in-house? What about the uh, behind you? You got a silo mixer pump system? Yeah, let me let me switch the camera. That's the best way. Uh, let's see. Uh, okay. Very cool studio. Looks very oh, thanks uh, a lot. modern. Thanks a lot. I just don't know how to switch the camera, though. Uh, let me check. <laughs> That's the chat. Nope. Maybe not an option with Riverside. Uh, it's not an option to switch the camera. I don't know. Okay. But... Uh, then I guess I can turn it around and, or, or just sure. show you like that. Um, yeah. yeah, so basically... This is our uh, printer, our own printer. Nice. Um, so you got it on the track. Yeah, it's on a six meter uh, long track. Um, so we have a much bigger print volume. Uh, we can print up to 2.2 meters uh, high with this uh, robot. Uh, and then if I go to the other side of the facility, we have the silo uh, and the mixing pumping system. Uh, so here we can- or have you developed some uh, customizations? Um, it is kind of standard. It is standard. Um, but of course, you know, every material has its uh, own customization for some of the uh, equipment or the hardware inside, like the mixing shafts, um, you know, uh, the type of blades that you're using to mix the material, to agitate the material and things like that. So those are the customizations that we work with um, for every, every different material. And you know, we have the jumbo bags over here, which are uh, one ton uh, each. And we basically, um, this silo can, um, can take around two tons. Um, so these two bags. And basically nice. we print right off the uh, silo, uh, like fully automated, I would say, because we don't have any people unloading the material into the printer. Um, yeah. yeah, unless you have some kind of rebar going in or some kind of... Uh... What kind of objects have you been printing mostly? Oh, well, you know, uh, it's interesting because we really wanted to start printing some of our own products. Mm -hmm. um, soon we'll be launching our first tiny house uh, that we'll be printing in the next uh, few weeks. Nice. Uh, but the thing is, when, when I started the company, um, actually, you know, Print4D has been um, around for just over a year now. Um, and um, during that past year, we've been uh, working on the development of the, uh, of the facility, uh, the technology, and where we saw the demand was uh, the clients wanted to get their hands on uh, some printers uh, as opposed to printing projects. Uh, so we had to switch our strategy, uh, say, okay, we, we really wanted to start printing projects in Europe uh, and, and even in the Middle East, but then the demand was, uh, okay, we want printers, so we had to adapt to that. Uh, and that's why we focused on uh, assembling printers and selling them. Nice. So what's the lead time like for the assembly? Yeah, so um, we have uh, two kind of uh, product uh, ranges. So, uh, and, and the, way, the, the reason why we have the two, I will explain to you. Uh, so for a brand new robotic arm, so maybe I will switch to the other side. Uh, so this is the second hall that we have. Mm -hmm. This is where we do the... Assembly, integration, uh, the testing, uh, and have all of the printers ready to ship to our clients. So, for example, if you see here in the back, uh, well, maybe I can show you. Uh, we have one uh, robot over there. Uh, that's the mixing pump. Uh, we have the uh, steel pedestal where we install our uh, clients' uh, robots to do the testing. Um, and then this robot, for example, is brand new. It comes, uh, it's, it's manufactured in Germany. 
Uh, and this uh, robotic arm is the largest robotic arm in the market. It has the 3.9 meter reach. And to produce it, it takes six months minimum. So for, for a brand new robotic arm, uh, we have around six to eight months lead time. So on the other hand, on the other side, some of our clients want to have the printers uh, earlier. So for example, this robot over here, it's a refurbished one. Uh, and this one, we can get it within two to three months. And then the lead time is around four to six months for the refurbished robotic arm unit. So when I nice. say refurbished, it's only the robotic arm that is refurbished, but all of the other hardware are brand new. Yeah, and those last a very long time. They're super reliable, so it's not exactly. such a terrible idea. Exactly, exactly, definitely. So these can last more than 10 years easily, uh, these type of uh, robotic arms. What's the price difference? Um, we have a, I mean, if you go for a refurbished unit, you're saving around 30 to 35,000 euros, which is quite a chunk, you know. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned the tiny house you'll be building. Is that going to be constructed in your facility? Is it monolithic? Is it printed in elements? Uh, yeah, that's going to be uh, printed here. Uh, we're going to assemble it outside. I can show you where uh, in a bit. Uh, so we're going to have it uh, as assembled in segments. Uh, I think around eight segments, uh, and then we can um, build it outside, um, install the windows and the doors, and then it's going to be ready. Um, this type of units, I think it's around 25 meters square um, from the exterior dimensions, and it can be printed within two or three days. Uh, but Only of course, eight you know. Units. Sorry? Eight units, that's a very small number. So yeah. does that mean you're printing full height? Uh, we're printing half height, so we have four blocked, four pieces on the first layer, and then the second four layer, four pieces. And the reason we can uh, minimize the amount of uh, pieces is because we can print, you know, large scale here. Uh, so we don't really need to print like small segments. And are the pieces cornered? Uh, sorry. The pieces are they just straight walls, or is there some kind of geometry to help them stand? Uh, they are. Uh, they have straight walls and corners, uh, so with the corners, it's it's easier to have the stability of those uh, pieces. Uh, yeah. The last building you printed, the halfway house in Dubai, uh, that was about 18 months ago. Uh, yeah. You made a lot of changes. It sounds like to the design process compared to a lot of tiny units that are maybe one meter by one meter. All of them and mm -hmm. now moving to just a couple much bigger units. Uh, why did you make that choice? Um, well, I mean, if, if, we, if, you wanna, if you want to print a tiny unit, it needs to be worth it in terms of uh, size and area. Uh, you don't want to really print like, a, let's say, a bathroom stall or a, or a tiny space that you can't really utilize uh, for uh, multiple activities. So, uh, 25 uh, meters square is quite uh, big enough. Uh, it can also almost be considered as a studio, uh, apartment. And with these tiny houses, we don't really need to um, abide by a lot of uh, building codes and regulations because it's, it's considered small, tiny house units. Um, so you can skip some of the reg tight regulations that we have here in Europe. Uh, like mm -hmm. we are located in Czech Republic and uh, these technologies they're still uh, haven't penetrated the market, uh, and there's a lot of work to be done uh, if you want to go large scale and prove, uh, you know, the, the technology in the building uh, construction side. Uh, so having it small is much easier to roll out. Um, and but I actually was talking about not the square feet of the building, but the yeah. size of the elements itself. Okay. Um, so you yeah, went I mean, bigger with the elements this time. Yes, exactly. So uh, when we when we are able to print uh, larger pieces, uh, we get rid of the connections that we need to create between the walls, uh, and also it's more thermally um, efficient because you don't have the cold bridges. So if you put two blocks of wall, you have to, the wall will touch from one side to the other, and then you have kind of a cold bridge. So if what we what we try to do with the, with our design is to completely eliminate uh, the uh, the joinery between the walls. Uh, and to have the insulation continuous, 
Um, and then also that, of course, affects the uh, integrity of the structural integrity of the building. It's more rigid and more stable. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, especially if your goal is automation. Every single joint is human effort, so the less joints yep. is less human effort. Is that something you would have integrated into the B6 project now if you were to do it over again? 100%. 100%. One of the... Um, so I, my background is in architecture, and I've worked in construction uh, in, in my whole career. Uh, and one of the things that, as an architect, you really want to avoid is that cold bridge segmentation. Um, especially in cold environments here in Europe, you want to have the insulation as efficient as possible to lower the cost of the heating, uh, you know, um, make sure that the cold stays outside in winter and the heat stays outside in summer. Uh, but that's that's not a big worry in, in countries like the UAE. Uh, you know, if you've visited and, and you've seen, you know, the skyscrapers are all uh, made out of glass facades. Uh, so the heating is not an issue. You have air conditioning inside the buildings. But if you really want to do it the right way, uh, you want to insulate the, the building envelope properly so that you can reduce your energies when it comes to cooling and heating. Certainly. And of course, you know, having the bigger segments, it's less work in terms of joinery, um, putting the mortar between the pieces. Um, if you need to join the, the roof with the last segment, for example, or the first piece with the ground foundation, when you have less segments, it's just easier. Uh, it's less repetitive work. So being under 250 or 25 square meters, does that allow you to avoid pouring reinforced columns? Yeah, exactly. So uh, our uh, for this tiny uh, house, uh, all of our walls are self-standing and uh, load-bearing. Wow, uh, load-bearing so, for the roof. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, we also we're kind of looking at two options for the roof: whether we do it a lightweight structure or we do it as a concrete roof. Um, and if we go for the concrete roof option, our load-bearing walls are strong enough to hold the, the, the roof, which was the same case for the Abu Dhabi project. The Abu Dhabi project has no reinforced columns? No reinforced columns. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, that's substantial. And it's still standing, so that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy about that. Yeah, there's... Do you know George Stikos? Uh, no. He's working on a unreinforced columns project as well. That's some of the most interesting printing to me because mm -hmm. the reinforcement is a human effort, not automated. Yep. And if you can have the printer do the entire building envelope without worrying about those reinforced columns, that's extremely powerful. Uh, so will this tiny home be the first of its kind in Europe? Yes, I believe so. Uh, there, as, as, uh, as, as far as my knowledge goes, there, there is no tiny houses that are properly uh, used for living uh, conditions. Uh, so it's going to be the first definitely in Czech Republic and I'm pretty sure in Europe. There's definitely but, other printed tiny houses, but there's I don't think any of them don't have reinforced columns. I think they all have reinforced columns. Yeah, I agree. Exactly. Uh, so what we're trying to do is exactly reach the um, minimal amount of human intervention as possible, um, expedite the whole process, uh, have the printing done very fast, the assembly done very fast and easy and simple. Uh, and I think that's the essence of this technology. Uh, you want to do things efficiently, fast, and uh, to reduce the amount of time and uh, amount of uh, activities, human activities that goes into the building process. Yeah, very cool. And so you're building in the Czech Republic and the municipality has already permitted the project or which stage are you in? So that's, that's the interesting part. For tiny houses, uh, 25 uh, meters squared and below, you don't really no need a building permit. Wow. Uh, and that's why we're going down that, that route, because we want to introduce the technology uh, in um, like an easy way, let's say, without having a lot of resistance. And then once we introduce that product into the market, you can say, hey, look at this. We're going to go large scale. So. Have you had any interest from the municipality in looking at the tiny home and then seeing maybe we can do this for bigger homes or more homes? Uh, not really, because I haven't reached out. <laughs> yeah, hopefully um, they see this. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, you know, uh, living here in Czech Republic, it's a little bit difficult with the language barrier because I don't speak Czech. I'm learning, I'm taking uh, classes, <laughs> but I don't speak Czech. And in some government offices, uh, you need to be speaking Czech. So, you know, can be learning a Czech. Yeah, I'm learning wow. Czech. Well, how many, you speak already like three or four languages, right? Um, I speak my, my native uh, language is Arabic. Uh, I speak English. Uh, I speak German uh, quite well. I speak a little bit of Spanish. Uh, I speak uh, a little bit of Slovak because my wife is from Slovakia. Uh, mm -hmm. And now I'm learning a little bit of Czech. So, Are Slovak and Czech similar languages a little bit? Like French uh, and Spanish? Yeah. yeah, Slovak and Czech languages are very similar. Um, because if you remember, it was Czechoslovakia in the past, and then after uh, they they got uh, separated, and then Slovakia and Czech Republic. So they speak very close languages, but it's not like this. I would I would compare it as uh, dialects, two different dialects. So how many employees do you have on your team now? Um, here in in our facility is just me, wow. uh, but we have uh, well I hire uh, three uh, part time employees. Um, so we have a material scientist, uh, Sayed Rafar, who is uh, also a teacher, um, PhD holder and assistant professor in Brunel University. Uh, he, he helps us with our uh, research when it comes to material development uh, because we have applied for some grants uh, in the European Union uh, to develop different materials and so on. So he's part of that uh, research and team. Uh, then we have uh, one of the guys that helps me here, Guntab, comes uh, every now and then, whenever we're printing, whenever we're assembling something. Uh, and the third part-time uh, employee is helping us uh, install uh, and, uh, and uh, test or run the printers when we um, install them in our client uh, facility. Yeah, so nice. for the next, for the next, uh, in the next two months, we'll be traveling uh, to Bucharest, Romania, to install uh, that printer that you saw. And then um, after two or three weeks, we'll be traveling to uh, Amman, Jordan, which is my home country, to install the second printer. Um, and we're expecting to have uh, two more printer orders within the next uh, few weeks. So, Very nice. That's incredible that you're still the only person in that facility getting the printers assembled, uh, shipping them out, doing prints yeah. as a one-man show. Uh, yeah. I guess that forces you to increase the level of automation so that there's less human interactions. Uh, 100%. Are you currently hiring? Um, not at the moment. You know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a bit, um, it, it's kind of a, a decision made on purpose. Uh, mm -hmm. And the reasoning behind it is, you know, all of the profit that we get from our, from selling our printers, we reinvest it into the company and growing it and developing the technology. So I had to kind of make a decision whether I hire someone to help me with what's going on, or we kind of take that uh, money into developing the, the, the technology, our facility, and so on. Uh, so for now, we're still um, like focusing on that part of developing the technology, making the process more automated, uh, maybe uh, printing that tiny house, as I mentioned. And then hopefully when we have things uh, set up at a certain level, then we, we start hiring them. Yeah, I think that tiny house will be really substantial because if you prove it can be done, uh, I think what a lot of customers are missing when they look to buy a printer right now, they want more prints completed. So they just have more data to look at of completed projects and have a better understanding of, I mean, if you buy an excavator, they have extremely specific data on how many cubic yards or meters it can move in whatever period of time. Yeah. Uh, it's very hard to get that kind of numbers from an industry in such an early stage. Uh, but even just having one project completed like that where they can say, okay, this has been done before, as opposed to some of the companies that leave it all on their customers to explore what the printers can do. Yep. Uh, yep. It's a good I, I totally agree with you. And that's the reason why we want to print this tiny house. Tiny you know, like from, from a personal experience and know-how, I've done it in Abu Dhabi, you know, uh, I designed that building and, and I kind of was product managing I also kind of printed it, but I did all of the things. So from a, from a know-how point of view, I've done all of that. I don't really need to, for my personal uh, growth and experience, I don't really need to do that again. But for my customers, as you said, 
I need to do it again here uh, to show them. Um, so of course, when they see the process, they, they're more at ease with this technology. They're, uh, they can clearly see how things work step by step and they can make a more um, you know, educated decision. Another thing I thought was really cool at the B6 facility was how their silo was outside pumping inside so yep. that they kept the dust and everything outdoors. Uh, I noticed in your facility you have it inside, so was it not useful enough uh, to put it outside? Um, yeah, I mean, actually having it outside is one of the biggest, uh, the, the worst decision that, that they wow. that they made. Uh, so imagine you have the dry powder material here, uh, and when it reaches 45 degrees Celsius in Dubai, you have the material basically baking inside. Um, and it really affects the quality of the print uh, and the different print parameters. So uh, during the day, uh, the temperatures are, are decreasing and then the powder temperature is decreasing. And then the, the water ratio, you need to change that as well. So there's a lot of challenges uh, with having it outside. And mm -hmm. actually one time, <laughs> that one day it rained in Dubai, the water penetrated from the top. And oh, yeah. um, we had chunks of dry material inside. So we had to empty the whole silo. Um, so having it inside is much more uh, productive and efficient because you don't have to worry about the temperature changing that much. It's protected. Uh, the humidity is also controlled. And it's slightly easier. Nice. And what's your uh, like dust management system like? Yeah, so we don't really have dust, uh, much dust here. Um, if I take you closer, we have, there's a filter uh, system uh, attached oh, wow. to the to the mixer, so all of the powder gets filtered, uh, and we don't really have much um, going uh, out into the facility. So, um, on that point, I actually would like to show you something else. So, not all of our clients opt for the silo connection system. So, for example, our client in Romania uh, still he wants to run it um, uh, self-standing. So, uh, one person will be unloading the bags inside here, and now it. So, so we have a, a, an attachment to this um, to this mixer, to the self-standing one. This attachment basically goes on top. Uh, and what we can do is we, we connect from here a vacuum system. Uh, and basically, all of the dust that would naturally escape uh, upwards, it would be sucked through the vacuum system into the vacuum machine. Um, so this is how it looks like. This is all of the vacuum uh, ducts. And they basically. Are you there, uh, Jared? Uh, are you there, Jared? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. And the software, even if it cuts out in our conversation, the call will be preserved. Okay, great, great. So I don't know uh, where it stopped, but basically this is the connection where you can hook up this, this vacuum machine, which is yeah. this one. Yeah. Uh, it has the self-filtration system and basically it sucks all of the dust uh, into the vacuum. So you don't really have any dust escaping. And that's very important if you want to keep uh, you know, a healthy environment for printing. Yeah, certainly. And these days, are you making your own material in-house or are you using some uh, off-the-shelf material? Yep. Uh, yeah, we're still using the Sika material. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they've been, I've been working with them ever, like more than four years, ever since I started in Dubai, and they've been great partners. Uh, and personally, uh, it's the best looking material with quality that I've ever worked with. So I, I'm sticking with that for now. So you say partner, are they more than a customer? Is it different than that? Um, I mean, it, it's not, not really. I mean, we... Like, you know, like, for example, for my clients uh, that I sell printers to, uh, I recommend them to use the Sika material. So we ship the Sika material to them uh, in different parts of the world. So it's kind of a partner partnership. Very nice. And is it, I've seen the Sika material printed a couple times. Is it the same material where you can print it and then throw it back in the mixer? Um, no, no. Not really. Okay. I mean, once once it hardens, you can't really throw it back into the into the mixer. Before it hardens. Uh, before it hardens, yeah, you, you can, yeah, because uh, it will be it will get mixed with more wet material and it will kind of uh, uh, decrease in, in hardness. I would say so. 
But we never really had that case where we had to throw uh, wet material back into the mixer. It's not the advised uh, way to, to do it. Hmm. Yeah, I saw somebody, 3D Potter in Florida, uh, did a print in front of me. Nothing important, it was just a knee-high wall for the video. Maybe that's why he was willing to just toss it back in the mixer pump. I thought that was a cool okay. feature of the material. Yeah. Kind of <laughs> yeah, it's definitely helpful, but um, if you look at the mixer, it's really d difficult to uh, put in the material. Um, we, have, we have some kind of a view uh, on the vibrator, the hopper, where you have the vibrator and the uh, pumping. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's really difficult to throw in material here. It's, it just gets very messy. So yeah. So when you are preparing the printer about to run the material through, do you prepare some kind of lubrication layer or you uh, just allow the material to form its own lubrication layer? Uh, yeah, we uh, in Dubai, I was using like a special lubric lubricant for the uh, uh, interior uh, side of the host. But here I just run water actually, so I can I can just run water and then I can run the material so it uh, immediately. That's that also works. Do you know if you get a plug flow zone or not at the extruder tip? Uh, sorry, what, what's that again? Do you know if you get a plug flow zone? Plug a, flow. a plug in the in the in the hose. Sometimes they can result in a clog. Um, but never mind. Let's go to something else. Let's talk about the uh, the. Sorry, I'm moving around. Is that okay, or it's better to? Yeah, that's fine. Move camera. around. It's actually even better, I think. Uh, it keeps okay. people's attention more when there's a little more action. Yeah. Uh, okay. So when you're printing. Do you control the temperature of your water? Uh, yes. So we have like a source, uh, like a source of water that is uh, stable. Mm -hmm. um, but like, of course, from summer to winter, the temperature of the water naturally, because it's coming from a natural, natural source, meaning a natural storage uh, source, uh, the temperature can vary. But that variation doesn't really affect Like We have a kind of a table of the parameters. Uh, where we measure, definitely measure the water temperature before we print. So we say, okay, the, the water today is X amount, uh, 15 or 16 degrees Celsius, so we need to use uh, this water ratio with the power and so on. Very nice. And the material is a 1K material, so you're not using accelerants or retarders? Exactly. It's a 1K material. Uh, we are working with uh, a partner. Uh, he's also producing the mixing pump systems. Uh, it's a company called Mine in, in Austria, and they have developed uh, their own PK uh, system. So we are working with them to provide it uh, to our, our customers as well. Um, so that's something that we provide um, as an additional add-on. So the thing is, with this 2K system, it's an additional cost on the printer, on the standard printer system. Uh, so we always keep it as an additional uh, kind of uh, add-on. Uh, if the clients really want to use the 2K system uh, specifically, we can provide it to them through our partner. Uh, but some customers who are uh, printing standard stuff, the 1K system is really more than enough. You're standing a little too close. You're, the top of your head's cut off the screen. There you okay. go. Yeah, or maybe you angle something. I don't know. But the, the building really looks great. Did you paint the blue yourself or, and the white, or was that there? Uh, that was the owner. We did it before I moved in. Um, so I'll, I'll take you for a tour. It's a pity that I can't uh, really uh, turn the camera, but I'll do my best. So um, this is our facility. Very cool. So what's the future plans? You get the tiny home printed. Uh, what goes next? Um, well, uh, ideally for us is uh, we can have, uh, we can generate demand on the uh, tiny house. 
Uh, and from that, we have a stable production uh, of, of that product. Then we would like to go into other types of uh, products that we uh, design and print ourselves. Um, you know, at the beginning of, of this technology, we're talking a, lo a lot about customization and printing per, per on-demand, per, per uh, client and things like that. But it's a bit difficult uh, today, I found out, uh, because a lot of designers and architects, they're not really familiar with the technology. Um, so what ends up happening usually is that they design something that a lot of uh, modifications and adjustments need to take place. Uh, so you spend a lot of time and money and energy into uh, fixing the design to be printable, and then it's not really um, uh, economic anymore. Uh, the whole process, you know, and doing it uh, one time is fine, doing it twice is fine, but doing it like four or five times a year, uh, it's just a waste of time for me personally. So what we decided to do is that we will launch our own designs and our own products, uh, and then we will look into customization again later at a later uh, stage. Yeah, I've even seen some that have uh, like preset objects with limited amounts of customization. Yeah. Uh, so that they can preserve that factor of having a unique item, but not have that concern that you need to make insane adjustments to the G-code of every file. Yeah, exactly. That that could be a, a possibility, definitely. Uh, but to have like the whole uh, design customizable, like the whole you know, especially the, the architectural look of the of the building, it's it's time consuming. Yeah, it's yeah. with like the AI solutions and everything coming out. It's hard for me to imagine we won't be able to say design a printed house yeah. in a Chat GPT prompt and get the whole thing. It just yeah. needs enough data to understand what's appropriate and what's not. Exactly, exactly. But uh, like also in reality, there's not much data. If, if you there's look no at all data. of if you, I mean, there are, I think you had a YouTube video where you said there's like around 50 or 100 printed buildings so far? More, yeah, there's, uh, by the end of 2023, there'll be over 200. Wow, that's uh, amazing. Uh, but if you look at uh, most of the, uh, buildings, especially the ones that have been printed with a gantry, they all have vertical walls. Mm -hmm. Yes, you ha yeah, they have the curves and things like that, but that's not really, uh, that's only one parameter. You don't have, uh, for me, it's the double curvature in the facade uh, and the inclination and, and so on that can generate more uh, design freedom and, and design options. But most of the projects, they all have vertical walls, just like curves here and there. And that's not enough, I think, to lead the AI to know exactly what is feasible and what is not. Yeah, and on top of that, it's not enough to justify the added expense of uh, all the working with new technologies is expensive and the materials expensive. And so you need yeah. to uh, find other reasons that it's beneficial. Uh, Definitely. As opposed to just the box houses, four simple walls that's like a team's bare minimum effort to get something printed so that they could say they printed a house. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're kind of doing the same with the tiny house. Uh, it's an important step for permitting and it's uh Definitely, definitely. But you're an architect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing, like uh, uh, when you introduce such new technology, like you want to do it in a subtle way uh, to get past the first barrier, and then you can go crazy with your designs. And that's what we're trying to do here. I mean, so it will take some time, but we're quite positive about it. Yeah, that's wise. And I see the value in at least attempting to emulate a house that looks like it was designed by humans or built by humans. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people aren't looking to have something that's totally outlandish and brand new. They want something that they their family grew up in or they've been used to forever, all their neighbors have. Yeah, uh, that's probably a big portion of the market, anyway. Exactly, exactly. I, I, that's that's exactly the philosophy behind that. Um, but after the tiny house, we're hoping to to start looking into more uh, products, whether it's um, outdoor furniture, whether it's like infrastructure um, uh, elements. Uh, but those all like you know re require more uh, resources and more investment in time and so on. So. We're starting with the most basic thing, uh, and then we're growing slowly.
that's a pretty cool gantry you have behind you. You got the overhead system oh, yeah. to help you with moving stuff. Yeah, it's uh, really useful for the cable management. Uh, so the hose, when we're printing, especially like on this side, when the track is moving, the, the hose can really be on the ground. So when we uh, elevate it on, on this hook, then it's the, the, the print bed is free and um, the cable is taken care of. Um, so it's can come in handy. Are you starting to feel like a real-world mad scientist? Uh, a little bit, <laughs> a little bit, yeah. But I would, I would feel even more uh, madder or crazier once I start to roll out like really crazy designs. Yeah, yeah definitely. The uh, it's already pretty incredible. When you, you have all this massive equipment behind you. You have the facilities to be able to adjust it and move it by yourself. Tons of weight, yep. uh, and the gantry is going to be instrumental in allowing you to move those bigger elements rather than having to lift them by hand, probably. Exactly, uh, exactly. Like, we'll be using it to uh, carry our printed uh, wall segments um, and have the print bed ready to print uh, the next pieces. Um, and, you know, also having this forklift is really instrumental. Uh, it, it, without it, like, you can't really have carry the heavy equipment or the uh, heavy printed uh, wall modules. And so in your opinion, printing off-site is the way to go for the future? Uh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, if you look at uh, most of the countries, like, you don't really have a stable uh, climate uh, throughout the year. Uh, and if you want to print on-site, you have to be ready to challenge all of those elements, uh, rain, um, sun, uh, humidity, wind, etc. Um, and what, like, I'm pretty convinced that uh, you would spend way more time and, and energy on fine-tuning your prints uh, than actually producing uh, projects. And, uh, you know, so having the printing indoors, we don't really need to think about that. You know, we just run the printer, print, 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 uh, take the uh, the modules out, assemble them, and there you go. And plus, if you think about it, like the gantry itself, yes, you are printing on site, but you have all of the uh, hardware of the gantry that you need to bring on site, like the foundations for the uh, for the columns and the beams, uh, all of the columns and the beams, the mixing system, the nozzle, the holes. Like, you know, it's a process by itself. So. Yeah, it's a big process. The setup and takedown sometimes can take a week uh, yeah, just for the exactly. printer. Exactly. So do you have any ideas to improve the transportation methods or designing objects for easier transport? Yeah. So, I mean, we have our facility, like we can open, actually I'll open the door. Mm -hmm. So we have uh, this gate or door that opens all the way up. Uh, and what we think what we can do is uh, when we want to print products for our clients that we can bring in the truck, uh, the low bed truck, directly here uh, in front of the truck. And then we can print directly on the on the bed truck, the truck bed. Wow. And then so the cool. truck just leaves uh, after it's it's full. So. And then it can cure while it's in transport. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, that's one way to do it. Um, another way to do it is like we can print and like we have quite some space in front of our facility. Um, so we, we can have some space to store some of the printed pieces there. That's one option. Uh, and we have way in the back over there, we have like a huge empty land. So it can like we can uh, store the printed modules um, while we ship them. Uh, so that's another solution. And here we have some of the pieces that we printed uh, in the past. Um, this was actually printed in a city called Berlino. We participated in an exhibition there a few weeks ago. Um, we printed this column live. Um, and we printed also that small wall. Uh, and those other pieces, they were printed like um, more, more than six months ago, I would say. And... Uh... Those were transported already a pretty far distance. Yeah, the, this this column, this column was uh, transported uh, one hour and a half away from here. So, I know the B six pieces. There were so many of them. Uh, yeah. Maybe they were thinner, but there were a couple cracks. 
not in the building, but in transport. Uh, yeah, that's true. So we had 78 modules transported in total. Uh, I think we, during transport, we got three or four pieces damaged, like heavily damaged. Okay. Uh, and we had to reprint them. So we reprinted it. I mean, mainly that damage is due to uh, lack of attention to the handling process. So, okay. you know, there in Dubai, you have a lot of like, uh, how to say? Unskilled say, labor. Yeah, unskilled labor. And then they don't really care about, um, you know, putting the things the right way, uh, the cushioning between the elements. So you would expect that. But four pieces wasn't that, that big of a deal, to be honest. Yeah, no, it's not. I wonder if bigger pieces would be stronger or they're still brittle. Um, what happens is like if you have longer pieces, uh, you have more uh, contact with the floor. So you have uh, the, the piece itself has more uh, contact so it can distribute the weight more evenly throughout the, the transportation process. So it, it might be stable. It, it might be more stable. And I forget, is the Czech Republic in an earthquake zone? Um, I think so. I think, I think most of Europe is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so now that you've been on uh, the entrepreneurial path for about two years, yep. what's changed? You used to be a corporate man working at a big international yeah. construction company, and now... Yeah. You're your own boss, master of your own destiny. Yep, exactly. Uh, a lot of things. I mean, um, you know, back when I was working in Dubai, you know, I had a lot of, uh, I, I had a vision for this technology and it's going, you know, I have sorry, I'm just doing the song. Yeah, I wanted to do things in a certain way and I really, since I really have to, um, kind of Don't work with that. Take your time. Sorry. No worries. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I had a lot of things that I wanted to do in a certain way, and I saw a certain path to it, but I couldn't really do it myself uh, in that way because, you know, you have to report uh, to your boss and so on. Um, and also, um, I didn't have a lot of uh, like support uh, to, to help me grow that part. Um, I mean, still I'm doing most of the things myself here, uh, but at least um, I can get the support that I need when I need it. So, for example, the three part-time employees that I have, I can, you know, get them to do the things that I want whenever I need. I don't need to, you know, go through a process to ask for assistance and stuff. Um, and... Um, it's really different. I mean, I have I have my, the freedom of my own time, uh, which is great. Uh, I can focus a little bit on, on this part of the business, that part of the business, see whatever really needs a bit more attention uh, and focus on that. But sometimes you don't have a choice in the corporate world. You just have to do what's right in front of me, come to you, like check that uh, to-do list. And, uh, yeah, but really the freedom here is great. Um, and I'm just like happy with how things are going, and I definitely see the free and like the future for the 3D printing technology. And I and I can actually see the demand growing, mm -hmm. uh, and more people getting into it, which is really amazing for for the technology. For sure. Yeah, and do you think that uh, now, where are you getting your support from? Like, do you have investors and uh, outside partners or? Uh, no, it's all wow. it's all by myself. Um, I've managed to use the, some of my own savings, uh, put it into the business. Uh, you know, work with a few clients here and there uh, on a consulting basis. Before before I hire, I mean, this facility I've had like like I told you more than a year. Uh, so the company is officially one year, uh, one year, one month, or one year, two months. Uh, and this was all empty. And within one year, I, I managed to, to get all of this uh, equipment here, uh, set up the printers, work on the different uh, client projects and so on. Uh, but yeah, I was taking things uh, one step at a time, um, saving some money here, there, putting it, and investing it back into the company, growing it slowly. Now, if you remember, I had actually I had the, the robot uh, on a fixed foundation in the middle. 
uh, and that's the foundation I built myself. <laughs> wow. Because, you know, you want to reduce the cost, you want to have things uh, done as cheap as possible. So, uh, and then today I have it installed on the track. Um, so this is how, how I'm trying to work things out, is like slowly uh, investing into the company, growing the technology, and, and it's working out. So I'm happy with that. Yeah, that's really cool. And how has the, like, for example, when I worked for other companies, I would check in at 9 o'clock, check out at 5 o'clock, and then I don't care about work for the rest of the day. I have all my time. When I start working for myself, it all bleeds into one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> has that been your experience? Hundred percent, hundred percent. There is like at the moment there is no uh, work time. Uh, you don't abide by like nine to five or nine to six or whatever. It's just you get an email uh, at eleven eleven p.m. at night. You just like have it on your phone. Like mm, I'll reply quickly to that, you know. Uh, well, but but that's the difference is that uh, when you when you have it for your own self, you don't you stop feeling that it's invading on your own private life. You feel it's part of your life. It's it's what you do. So you don't have that separation as much. Uh, you just consider it part of your daily thing. So. Yeah, the plus side is you never are looking at the clock wondering what time is this over. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. I mean, it happened to me that sometimes I stay here until 9 or 10 p.m. Uh, working and I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to get back home. You know, I need to get some sleep. Um, but part of it is the excitement also that I'm, I'm really happy with what I'm doing. I'm excited about what I'm doing and I, that time is not really a factor to me. Um, but I think that's when we are most productive is that when we don't really look at the time and we just enjoy what we're doing and, and we try to, you know, achieve some, some targets and goals. Yeah, that's very true. And so right now you're focused on assembling printers, getting more printers sold, locking up contracts. Um, is there, are there other kind of R&D efforts that are uh, taking your attention as well right now? Yeah, so uh, we actually won a grant uh, from the European Union uh, nice, six congrats. weeks ago uh, to develop uh, thermal insulation uh, material, three uh, D printed. Sorry, three D printed uh, material with thermal insulation properties. Very cool. Uh, so the project just ended. Uh, we did the large scale test uh, around a month ago, I think, and we, we submitted the final report. So that was a really interesting and exciting project. Um, we applied for a couple of two more uh, uh, proposals, like grant proposals, uh, within the Czech Republic. Uh, I can't see that, say the, the the projects that we applied, like the title of the project or what we're trying to do, but they're all um, uh, involving two D concrete printing. Um, some with the materials, some with the process, some with the application. So uh, we submitted two uh, proposals in the past six months, I think, and we're waiting for some feedback. Uh, from the committees, and we're hoping if we get any of those projects that we can uh, hire more full-time people and, uh, that are dedicated to those uh, R&D projects. Very nice. Yeah, that's a great system to be able to uh, win the grant, be able to invest in the research. The insulation, was that achieved with some kind of air bubbles in the mix, like an aircrete kind of thing, or some kind of other solution? Um, it was, I can't say much about it until the, sure. the, the report is out, but it's not air bubbles. It's more uh, lightweight uh, material, like lightweight uh, ingredients, let's say. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, yeah, lightweight ingredients. And I, I, the thing is, because <laughs> I, I don't have to, Yeah, the thing is, because I don't really have a material uh, background, I don't really focus on the tiny details. I know the overall uh, purpose and the goal. Um, but not much detail. So I, I forgot even the names of the How many scientists have to come together to make 3D printed construction work? You have the, you have architecture, you have material science, you have softwares, you have mechanical engineers, electrical engineers, of course. You have civil engineers. You'll have. It's, oh, it makes my job very hard because I can't possibly know all those things. Yeah, yeah. That that's also the beauty about the technology that I really, really uh, I, I like about it is that it brings all of the engineers. Uh, from different backgrounds, yeah. uh, different specializations, all together to work on one thing, and that's been the the coolest thing uh, working on this technology. We're just, I guess, leaving out the energy guys. The energy engineers aren't so involved in this yet. 
maybe they'll find some way to off-site power. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Some uh, generators on-site, uh, off-site generators, I don't know. Do you think there's a future for batch plant mixers? Uh, definitely, definitely. Um, the, the real question is, so I've kind of thought about it, uh, about sourcing the material, right? Because it's a big question always from our clients. How do we source the material? Blah, blah, blah. Can, we, can we produce it locally? So on. The thing, the problem is that when you source the material locally, there, there's, I mean, obviously there's an advantage. If you are able to secure all of the ingredients of the recipe uh, locally, there is an advantage that you can uh, reduce the logistics aspect of it. Um, and then there's the question of, uh, you know, printing on-site or printing off-site. It's also involved in the material and the batching uh, plant um, idea is that if you want to print on-site, yes, you are printing on-site, but you have to transport the material to be mixed on-site. Uh, if you're doing it off-site, the same thing, you're transporting the material to that facility where it's being produced and then you're shipping those, those pieces. So shipping, so it's really about having three kind of uh, endpoint destinations, so A, B, and C. So if your uh, job site is um, at the end of the chain uh, and the material is produced at point A, for example, your printing facility is point B and it's all like in one line, uh, then you're, you're kind of still uh, doing it the right way. But if you have to cross your uh, production, like the on-site printing site, and go further to the production site and then bring the material back, so you're doing a lot of extra logistics, then it becomes a bit messy uh, and not really sustainable, but it's, uh, yeah. Logistics is almost its own engineering. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but definitely if we're able to kind of uh, have our batch plan uh, incorporated in the, in the technology, it would make uh, the process cheaper, um, it would make uh, people less reliant on a single source of the material. Um, but, you know, it's all extra costs. Uh, like batching plants, it, it's not an easy job. Uh, you know, you need a whole team for it, you need a whole setup, a space. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's a difficult topic. And the my mixer you have now, has that been the same? Uh, for the four years you've been working with, or have you not been working with my mixers for that long? Uh, so actually, uh, the first two years with B6 back in Dubai, I worked uh, with this MTech uh, that I've that I've used here in the beginning. Uh, but for me, it's very outdated and uh, not really taking the uh, specifics of 3D printing and and incorporating them into the mixing system. So. I jumped tip to uh, to the mine mixer. And the cleaning process of the mine mixer is easier, right, with the plastics, or? Exactly. Uh, the individual pieces are lighter weights because they are made from uh, from plastic material, and the concrete doesn't really stick to them as much as the other uh, MTech because that's all made of steel. And it also mixes better. And it also makes it better, yeah. Because it has the adjustable geometries? Um, it has, uh, so it, it can precisely dose in the, uh, the, the water and the powder. Uh, so you have uh, really high accuracy on the amounts of, of powder-water ratio. So you won't get, so for example, with the MTAC, what would happen to me is that one layer would be printing uh, nicely, and then the next layer would be a little, slightly wet. And then maybe after two or three layers, it will be slightly dry. And the reason behind it is that it doesn't have a proper or an accurate dosing system for both the powder and the water. So, and also the the, um, the hopper where the mixing is taking place uh, is non is virtually non-existent in the MTEX. So what happens is you get the dosed uh, powder, you get the dosed water, and it's almost after a few seconds, it's pumped through a hole. So you don't really incorporate that mixing and agitation of the material or activation of the material. Whereas in the, in the my pump, okay. um, in the my pump, so you have the initial uh, mixing of the powder in the water here, and then it gets uh, dumped into this hopper, which is quite, I mean, it's, it's quite good in, in volume. 
Uh, and then inside the silo, you have uh, agitation and more mixing before the pumping takes place. Uh, and also we have uh, one vibrator on, on each side of the hopper. So that will uh, ensure that the material doesn't harden while it's waiting to be pumped. And the MTEC mixer has no vibration? No, it does not have any vibration. Yeah, it's an interesting feature that added motion really goes a long way in the malleability. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, my have really put in a lot of uh, time and effort into developing their, their mixing pumping system. Uh, I visited them a few months ago in Austria, uh, where they showed me the production, uh, the R&D that they're working on uh, developing the mixer, and it's just fascinating. Like, That's what can, I love to hear. Yeah, it, it just, it's, it, it's really fascinating for me because it shows you that when, when, when a company is focused on developing a product, it shows you that you know, the technology is going somewhere uh, and, uh, and it's constantly being developed. Uh, what I was missing with the Amtec is that you know, I, for the two years that I've used the machine, I haven't really seen much difference in the, in the equipment and the development and uh, yeah. Um, That's what was reported to me over the past couple of years, companies were saying that the big mixer pump companies weren't dedicating the required resources to the R&D, but it's good. I think now that the industry is maturing and there's many more printers out there, they're yep. selling more units, they're starting to reinvest into realizing it's going to be a big industry. Exactly, exactly. I mean, that's, that's true, actually. Uh, like the percentage of sales for uh, 3D printing uh, mixers and pumps, they're very low compared to the other applications, mm -hmm. but it's definitely growing. And uh, that's why we see more focus being uh, paid uh, to the, to the uh, developing the equipment. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. The, you guys should be posting on social media more. I wish I saw more videos of all the cool stuff you guys are doing. Yeah, I try, you know. Uh, I try I know to. You got so much stuff you're working on. Yeah, yeah. But I also try to, you know, post um, new, interesting stuff, and mm -hmm. try not to post like repetitive things or things that, that you know like we already talked about, um, and or wait for some exciting things to talk about or to share. Um, but one thing that actually I shared yesterday, but we're uh, that's also something funny. Um, you know, when I started with the 3D printing. Uh, in general, I started uh, doing it uh, six or seven years ago, mm -hmm. and, and basically I had also, maybe I told you, I, spent, I had a YouTube channel, right, just like you, and I was uh, putting videos on how to assemble desktop printers, plastic printers, so that's where I kind of all started, um, but I've noticed uh, from, from uh, customers and clients there is also an interest in plastic printers, not funky, but plastic. Uh, and that's why uh, you know we started looking more into that, uh, and now we're offering uh, plastic printers as a product. And so we have two clients that we're working with that hopefully uh, we can install a plastic printing system for them. Um, personally, I don't have much experience with the large scale uh, plastic printing, but I have uh, the right partners and I have the right contacts that you know give me give me the confidence to, to offer it for our clients. Yeah, cool. And I also noticed your, the tip of the printer, you have it going out straight and then there's a pipe going down. That seems yeah, a little different than the B6 setup. Yeah, exactly. So um, with the B6 setup, uh, you would have the uh, sixth uh, axis exactly pointing down. Uh, but if you think about it like that, we win more reads uh, with the printer. So that's something that I, that I made. Uh, as a development for myself, I thought, okay, I want more reads, then why not utilize uh, the extended extension? Uh, and then we added also half a meter extension to our nozzle. So uh, this is, um, this is a, a robot with, uh, with 3.1 meter reads. Then you add half a meter extension with, of our uh, print head. Uh, so I believe we get 3.5, uh, 3.6 meters, sorry. That's great. On either side, or no? Yeah, exactly. So on the front side of the of the of the track, and also on the on the back side. Yeah. Very cool. And you got your operator booth. Did you have to assemble that yourself? Uh, which one? The operator booth to your left. 
This one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, this comes uh, standard with the, with the robot. Um, but of course, uh, in terms of planning and thinking about the best placement, um, yeah, we, we decided to have it here. Uh, and also we have a, a nice cable management system, uh, which is this one. So all of the cables go inside. Uh, I haven't actually hooked it up yet, but all the cables go inside and uh, basically uh, when the robot moves, this is like manual, but when the robot moves, the whole cable system moves with it um, and keeps it all like tangle free and, and free to move. So. Nice. Very cool. And so if people want to follow you and check out what you're working on, what are the best places for them to keep up with what you're doing? Um, I mean, I'm posting regu regularly on um, LinkedIn and Instagram. So we have, uh, I have my personal page and also the Prince 4D page. So um, you can follow us there and uh, check out our latest uh, development and project and clients and uh, what we're working on. And what's the uh, Instagram address? Uh, it's uh, prince4d.xyz. Cool. And is there anything else you guys are working on you can pitch or promote to the audience? Um, Why should they go to your website today? Well, I mean, the thing, that, that's, that's a really good question. Uh, so the thing is, like, we as Print4D, how we work with our clients is we kind of, we're a one-stop shop for uh, their 3D printing needs. So now we, we put uh, the plastic printing also as a, as a product. So we, we provide uh, large-scale robotic concrete printers and plastic printers. Uh, and what we do is that we uh, work with the clients from A to B. So uh, we advise them on the uh, layout of their facilities, with the, the space that they should have, where the equipment should, should be uh, placed, uh, the infrastructure that needs to be prepared be, uh, prior to installing the printer. Uh, and then we provide them with the whole package of the printing system, whether it's concrete or plastic. So our clients really don't need to worry too much about uh, where do I get this equipment? What do I do this, where, there? Is this compatible with this? How do I integrate the system with this system? Uh, and on top of the hardware, then we have our own uh, slicer software that is compatible with our equipment. Um, so that's one package. What we do is that after we ship our printers to the clients, we go for one week in their facility, install the printers for them, uh, commission it and, and start running it and do the test printing. Um, and we provide after test support. So if the clients have certain questions afterwards, so you know, we give the peace of mind to the clients that, hey, you don't need to know much about robotics or 3D printing. We are here, we provide you the service, we do the training and we're, we're here to help you afterwards. So that's, I think that's the, one of the most fascinating things for me is that some of our clients, like actually both of our clients that, I'm, that we're working with now, they have zero uh, background with 3D printing or robotics. Uh, and we uh, you know, managed to tell them that, hey, you don't need to have that background. We made our system and technology in a way that you can use it without having that prior experience. Uh, and, yeah, I think, well... and I think that's, that's, that's the shift that we really need to focus on today to enable more people to have access to the technology. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think there's three things you're doing really exceptionally well. Uh, you're operating the printer by yourself and going aiming for full automation. Uh, yep. You're aiming to print on the truck bed, which is like the ultimate just-in-time delivery. Uh, yep. You don't even have to load the stuff. You're not storing it. You're just printing it, shipping it out. No inventory. That's amazing. Uh, and the third, the tiny home with no reinforced columns, that's a huge leap forward in terms of uh, cost, automation, yep. percentage of the job completed by robots. Uh, it seems like you're focused on all the right stuff and nobody can stop you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you know, as I, as I told you before, uh, I enjoy what, what I'm doing and I see a future for it, so. All right, well, let's have the next episode less than two years away uh, <laughs> after you get that tiny home printed. How about that? 
Sure, sure, but this time you'll have to come visit me here. I will. I plan on coming to uh, to Europe. I was going to go this summer, but there's only like half a dozen new printed homes since I was there two years ago. There okay. really needs to be at least 10 for me to visit. Okay. Uh, yeah. Which is, I think, going to happen either by the winter or the summer of this year, or of either 2023 winter or 2024 summer. Uh, yeah. Maybe even this summer. It seems like a lot of projects are scheduled in Europe for this summer. So mm -hmm. perhaps I should be there, but uh, we'll see how it plays out. It's very tricky. I promised so many groups I would visit that I can't really go unless I visit all of them now. Yeah, yeah, and you have so to I have, have to a couple of them coordinated at the right time. And it's important to me to visit all of them, too. Sure, 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 sure. Well, keep me updated. We'd love to have you here. And hopefully we have time you have to by then so you can actually come and see it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for joining me on the call today and sharing your story. Sure, sure. pleasure always.